we are here with episode two of Comic Quest, and I am joined by one James Benson from Amiensis, etc. How you doing, James? Pretty good, pretty good. It's uh, it's nice and warm out. The uh, ground is thawing up, and I'm just uh, spending my time outside with the dogs lately, and that's that's about it. You know, pandemic. I'm not really socializing, so I'm either inside recording stuff or I'm outside with the dogs and getting muddy. That's got to be weird with being a musician in the pandemic. How's that been the last year? Oh, man. Yeah, there's a lot to touch on on that. Uh, you know, I'm not a musician that like really does it for the, for the money, per se. Uh, and I'll stop you there before people start. Uh, people will start asking, well, then why do you do it? Obviously, they're like, well, if you're not making money. And it's like, well, I mean, unless you're drawing like 500 plus a night, you're really not making money. Uh, and so that's the majority. There, there's 95% of artists right there. I do it because I like it. Uh, but uh, the... Last year, well, um, it started off with last March. I had about five shows that got canceled for March. And then I had about three more in May. And then I had a tour in June. And luckily, I didn't have anything beyond June booked yet. And we even waited until May to cancel because we were just like... What band was this? Um, so the, the bands that I had shows with, I had... I had a weekend run of three shows with Fail to Decay in March, and that's my heavy, really heavy band. Yeah, if you want to take a second and just break down for the audience the bands you're involved with and the role that you play in those. My main band, uh, it's a we say progressive black metal because there's it's not it's it's black metal based, but it's not entirely black metal. Think oh, if you're a metal fan, you probably know the name Opeth, and that's probably the best way to describe us as we go from some kind of like prog rock to straight black metal or death metal part. Uh, and, and sometimes entirely songs, but Amiensis has been around for about 10 years. It'll be 11 in August, which scares me. And then uh, besides that, my main touring bands for the last few years have been Chrome Waves. Uh, and Chrome Waves is kind of a post-metal band. We have two uh, LPs out. One came out last September as well. Uh, it's our most recent, recent one, but we have a third one called um, The Rain Will Cleanse Us uh, coming out probably later this year that's kind of more of an 80s pop uh, pop album like <laughs> that's, pop, pop rock that's album. interesting so so post-metal can you explain more i i don't know anything about that what is like what does that entail a lot of post-metal it blends um the like still distorted instead of clean tones that you see in like 90s rock and and shoegaze into like distorted but still tons of reverb on it and lots of delay so it sounds, it sounds a bit '80s in production, uh, in terms of just like the big like synthy sounding stuff um, that's actually usually made by a guitar. <laughs> though we do use some synth stuff on it. Uh, but the next Chrome Waves record kind of dropped all the metal uh, in favor of being a little bit more '80s '90s era like Deftones, My Bloody Valentine. Mm -hmm. uh, or I should say kind of more late late Deftones, like the last couple Deftones records without some of the heavier parts. So I want to get later. I want to get into uh, why that switch. But yeah, continue with with your listing of your involvement. So we got Amiensis and Chrome Waves. Fail to Decay, I've uh, been a part of since 2013. I played bass in that band. I forgot to mention Amiensis, I sing and play guitar. Same with Chrome Waves. Fail to Decay, I play bass and do backing vocals. We're a uh, deathcore band. Um, that genre gets a lot of flack. So if your listeners are like, what's deathcore? You, you look it up and people are just like, 
fuck deathcore. It's a shitty blend of death metal and hardcore riffs, and like only teenagers who go to hot topics still listen to deathcore. I'm like, yeah, there was a good amount of time in the 2010 to 2020 era that that was pre- pretty much true. Yeah. Um, but well, there was a period of time where only 10 year olds were buying Pokemon cards and now 30, 40, 50 year olds are buying them. So I don't give too much credit to. Yeah. Who, who do you who do you think played Pokemon Go when it came out? I mean, the kids yeah. are playing it now, but I mean, like, you know, 25 to 35 year olds were the ones that were stoked in 2016, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not 10 year olds. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I like I'm going to I'm going to give it up real quick to the Game Boy Advance. Like the reason I ended up getting into to, to working out when my 20s, um, when I had like, you know, learned that my metabolism wasn't good anymore. Mm-hmm. Because I was like, all right, well, I got a stationary bike and I have a Pokemon uh, or I have the I have. What was it? Crystal? I had Pokemon Crystal, um, which was like the last one I played as a kid. Um, so just the first two gens. And uh, yeah, I got I got crystal and then i started branching out and getting a couple more of the ones that were for game boy advance not just the color uh and i lost 20 pounds thanks to i was like well i want to play pokemon for like 20 30 minutes a day and i can get on the, I can get on the bike <laughs> nice thanks pokemon actually for me it was i lost about 15 pounds after pokemon go came out because i was actually outside for the first time in like 10 years so Pokemon has a place in my fitness history as well. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. And it's, I mean, shout out to fitness stuff related real quick, but uh, people don't realize how much just like walking for an hour a day at a moderate pace will do for their physical health. Mm-hmm. It's know. it's a big deal. Sedentary culture is not good for anybody. Get up and walk, listeners. So anyway, I've got Amiens' Chrome Waves, Fail to Decay, um, Adora Vivos is a doom band I've been in for about a decade that uh, has recently put out music, but uh, we didn't put out music for about eight years and we're sitting on a couple of records. And if you like doom metal, uh, Candlemas or Paul Bear recently being one of them, if you're even a Sabbath fan, it's probably more up your alley, though. It's a little bit heavier. Um, and then I've got Not, which was my formerly solo black metal project. Now it's two of us. Um, we actually had shows canceled that we were going to play as a two piece. Oh yeah. Sounds weird. But uh we had it we had it all going. We we had a you know a fake drummer. It was a computer and uh mm-hmm. we were going to play and do the rest. It was going to be kind of theatric. <clears throat> you started not like was that 2019 or when did you start not? 2017. Oh, was that long ago? Oh wow. Yeah, I started okay. I started putting out stuff right at the end of 2017 because I just I wrote a bunch of those songs around okay. November of that year and just started doing it basically i had an excess of songs that didn't fit anything i was doing at the time and it was just mm-hmm. like i just want to make some heavy music and now four years later i i can't make heavy music very easily um and so i've been doing what is called comatose recently for like it's actually been a year since we started doing the band but we put out or we recorded a record last summer uh shot a music video in the summer and then released the album in january of uh, this year and then actually we shot a music video two weeks ago but uh we're um kind of like your 90s grunge your dad's music you know uh bush uh if you like bush or uh nirvana we're a, we're a little nirvana ish but with like a tad more melody the last music video was amazing super super good i'm super excited for the next one and i'll drop links down below too so people can go check that out but yeah, yeah that was who does the uh creative choices for those videos 
You know, this that's not my forte. The music side is my forte, and generally in bands, I let everybody else do that. But for Comatose, I've kind of had the ideas. So awesome, the dude. First, the first video, I will note, is pretty. I'm I'm not gonna say basic, um, but like the. It's it, straightforward. Like, There's yes, no. It's, it's not it's gimmicky straight. or like it doesn't have. A lot going on it's a one set one set film yep and no yeah there so there's like no no narrative story or anything in it so the next one will have that um and cool part uh so when people get to see that video it's for our song skin um for comatose just if people missed the name the first time uh we got to film in a bar that was owned by al capone so oh cool uh and we were warned way ahead of time like if you screw anything up you will get sued. So yeah, we were, yeah. We were very, very careful, and we had actors on set for that, and we had to warn them a hundred times. And they were drinking in the like, during the video because that was part of the video, and they weren't actually faking it; they were actually drinking. Um, it'll be interesting to see how it turns out because uh, it was definitely the most expensive video I've ever done. That's that's a big deal, dude. Like your your musical career, I have like obviously I've known you for a long time and you've done this stuff in the background and I'm like, Oh yeah, Jimmy does this like metal stuff. And then he starts like producing content monthly, like doing multiple bands, doing like music videos, hiring actors and stuff. Like this is exciting, dude. Like, how do you like, obviously you've put a lot of work into it. Like how do you feel about where you are now and where do you see your career with music going down the road you said you do it for the love of it of course but like just like looking forward where do you see yourself yeah it's that's one thing is i am very close to being 30 now uh that i don't know for sure it's a hard question to answer because i think a lot of a lot of people that i play music with currently are in a transitional period and i'm kind of hitting the point where i'm realizing like unless something really amazing happened i'm pretty content with where I've made it in terms of like, I, you know, it's been, it's been really cool to be able to tour, uh, you know, a couple times a year and meet people across the, the country and Canada. Cause I haven't made it to Europe yet, but I mean, I do, I do talk to a lot of people from Europe even, um, but, and, and meet people that just want to come see you play music. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's amazing. I mean, even if it's only like 20 people a night, like, you're 20 hours from home in California or, you know, like uh, the story I'm sure I've told you before when we broke down in British Columbia, like shit, it's just Mm -hmm. people are like, yeah, come stay at my place after the show. And, you know, my wife thinks it's terrifying, but I mean, it's cool. Enjoy it. Yeah. I just love the conversations that I get to to meet people. And of course my real job is uh, counseling. And so Mm -hmm. I, I like to talk to people. Yeah. So that's, that's winning for you with your music career is just being introduced to people that you wouldn't otherwise have met. Is that part of it or yeah. Yeah. I mean, to some degree, I don't want to play, you know, I don't want to be on tour six months a year. Like I used to when I was young. Mm -hmm. Um, And if, you know, if some (laughs) man offered me that opportunity, I might try it at this point, but I'm leaning more towards not doing that at, 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 at any point right now. Um, I would love to definitely continue touring once or twice a year because I think I need that to get my head out of, you know, what their daily routine is and, and counseling per se. And it's my uh, self-care. Yeah, for sure. To, to play. But as I get older and there's more stuff that I like to do around the house and I have four dogs that mm-hmm. um, when I'm not here, you know, I it's kind of hard for one other person to take care of four dogs. So I understand. But 
I, I want to play around here more often. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I haven't really ever invested in uh, where I live, you know, or where we live, the local Minnesota scene. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I've been trying to really over the last year with Comatose specifically break into playing locally, and I'm still getting hit with the like it's too heavy thing. And I'm like, you know, we're like Alice in Chains ish, but like even more, oh, frustrating. more melodic than that yeah. with more reverb. So for our listeners, we are in the center of the Midwest where um, mayonnaise is spicy. So people aren't as open in this area to things like metal as maybe they should be. If you go to the major cities around us, like the Chicago, Minneapolis, Madison, Wisconsin, Milwaukee, actually better than Madison, but uh, most of them have great local scenes with lots and lots of bands that are playing, but where we are and which is still the considerate sized city. I mean, yeah. the Midwest, it's, it's, it's decent. The music scene is small, generally not inviting for, for bands. It's good for artists. Um, and then, and then the band types that they generally like are more like big band style with like mm-hmm. a country or brass style but you don't see a lot of like band bands like you don't see rock bands you don't see mm-hmm. kids playing music anymore and maybe i'm just sounding like an old geezer now but you know when i was in high school uh 10, 10 to 15 years ago you know i was playing in bands and there were other like bands that i was in high school with and they were like our competitors kind of mm-hmm. and now I'm like, you know, there's no local music scene. Like we used to play at skate parks and we used to play at churches that would somehow allow us to do that type of thing. I mean, like, you know, back yeah. in the day we were yeah. involved in the, those churches, but yeah. like, you know, we were, you know, we were secretly <laughs> worshiping the devil. As as we all do. As above, so below. That's in several of my songs, believe it or not. <laughs> I know it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm wearing an Amiensis uh, sweater right now. So. That's true. I'll 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 stand out a little bit here. <laughs> um, you mentioned that you couldn't do more metal stuff. Uh, what do you mean by that? There was a point where a couple of years ago where I was writing for Chrome Waves, and this is how Comatose came to be somewhat too. Um, and the songs I was writing kind of sounded like the stuff I would write for Amiensis, but I was working with new musicians, and when it comes when it comes to working with Amiensis, it goes through several hands before it's usually done. Every everybody's song usually goes through everybody's hands at some point. And with Chrome Waves, it was just like me and one other person writing, and so both of us being mainly guitar players uh, and and like a little bit piano players too, to some degree, uh, we didn't drastically change each other's songs, and so. The stuff I was writing that would generally turn into way more metal because people would be like, oh, like I really like this melody, but like let's change it up and do some palm muting 16ths here. It, it didn't happen. Um, and generally, like I was just never really amazing at a lot of the metal techniques for guitars besides tremolo picking and palm muting. I'm, I'm good at those two things, the rhythmic related stuff. I'm not good at like arpeggios. I'm not good at string skipping. The stuff you hear when you listen to like metalcore or deathcore stuff that's like super fast, many strings at once. I'm good at chords, I'm good mm-hmm. at melodies. That was my forte. Har- uh, melody, harmony, both vocal or guitar wise. So um, that basically culminated in like I had a bunch of offshoot songs 
that I didn't know what to do with, but wanted to use. And I had been joking around with some of the fail to decay guys for a couple of years because we were all getting close to 30 that we should start up another band. Mm. Uh, I feel like the reason it went from being like metal to not metal uh, was just that I wasn't filtering my actual normal songwriting through anyone else for, for a minute. And mm -hmm. uh, not to say that the next Chrome waves album was primarily actually not me, except for uh, the vocals. I did all of the writing for that. Um, but the guitar wasn't so much. And I mean, we set out from the last record, which was like kind of half metal and half not. And mm -hmm. we're like, let's just not, let's just not think about like, Hey, this is what people expect for us to write uh, and just write something. And what came out, uh, I've got just less and less in the metal realm. Mm -hmm. um, and as time goes on, I have no problem picking up a guitar and writing a melodic death metal or melodic black metal song per se, but, I'm not satisfied like I used to be with writing that style of music. I I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine writing it. I'm not saying that all of my bands are suddenly going to sound like, uh, like Pink Floyd or anything, but mm -hmm. uh, from here, at least in this phase, I've just progressively gotten more into non metal spheres in terms of influence and listening. Where do you go for getting the lyrics that go into your songs? I guess that depends on the band per se. So, I write lyrics in Amiensis, Comatose, and Chrome Waves, and Not. Mm -hmm. And the real specific easy example, it would be Not. Um, growing up as a kid, uh, before Amiensis was Amiensis, we had a band called The Last, and a lot of the lyrics then were focused on the Book of Revelations. Mm -hmm. uh, and obviously, Which is the most metal book in the Bible. Right. Yep. Um, and obviously, uh, I um, I went to a Bible college. Maybe not obviously, but I went to a Bible college. Not obviously. I don't think it's uh, obvious for me. So it's definitely not obvious for you. Well, I mean, at least in my appearance now, it's not so much. But I looked almost the same, just without a beard. Ten years ago. <laughs> so, um, now, I guess now I have tattoos and shit. Now. Yeah. yeah. Um, but um, that 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 weighed into it a little bit but um i really enjoyed the uh mythology i guess you could say around the book of revelations and the history um and the interpretations of it and i took a class on that one year um that was before i went to the school that we went to but, but basically uh it's a very metal book overall i really was obsessed with the with like the apocalyptic themes uh up as a kid and then like the whole Left Behind uh, book series and then movies. Fantastic uh, books, terrible movies. The books were fantastic. Just going to throw it out there. Mm -hmm. I read all of them too. I'll, I'll die on that bridge. I totally agree. Books were really good. Um, yeah, gosh, who's the child actor that ended up being in that? He's crazy. He's <laughs> yeah, uh, Kirk. Um, Kirk Cameron. Cameron. I, uh, I've been seeing his Facebook posts lately. He, he posts this like bonfire every night for God. And, uh, uh, it's, it's weird. It's like it's about saving America. Do they burn books at the bonfire or it's just, uh, I don't, I don't watch them. I just okay. see him post that he's like, Oh, I'm going live. And I'm, I got to check that out one day. <laughs> Actually, that, <laughs> know, that yeah. sounds like a really nice night in just watching that with a beer or two or three or four. Uh, he's like 40 days deep in this. There's like 40 plus live videos of him sitting around his bonfire talking about Jesus in America. So I know what I'm doing after this then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's real. And he, he's got his American flag attached to his, his, uh, lawn chair. It's, Oh, well, at least he's not wearing it as a cape, I guess. 
He's, <laughs> he's being respectful. It's not touching the ground. He's not wearing it. There we go. That's perfect. Anyway, back to your lyrics. So, <laughs> so Book of Revelation, apocalyptic. Yeah. Okay. How does yes, that transition so, then? So not not essentially was a was very based around um, different concepts of hell for our last album. Um, we used the name The Great Furnace, which was our last album, and uh, which was late 2019. Um, and, and that was essentially exploring the different concepts of um, Sheol and, and Gehenna from the Torah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then some of the lyrics were also pertaining to both um, pre-modernization Christianity, like pre-enlightenment Christianity and post-enlightenment Christianity in terms of the concepts of hell. So that's what I discussed kind of in that, um, just because I find this. And that's that's an entire episode right there. I'm I'm. I want to go down that rabbit trail, but I, I don't know if I should because that might that might um, become its own thing at that point. Yeah, that would be. I mean, in, in terms of like, obviously, we both have religious backgrounds uh, yeah. and very very similar ones overall, but um, you know, different experiences within that too. Yeah, I think I I left the flock before you did potentially, but I think when we were a, no, you don't think so? Maybe maybe not. I will say I at least quit going to church my senior or our senior year we graduated together yeah our senior year i quit going by like fall some end of fall semester but like november of fall semester i just quit going entirely um my you know beliefs in you know, they have evolved over the last eight years since then but per se i was stopped labeling myself a christian by about that time so maybe like mid 2000 to no it was like late 2012 okay i would say yeah you were more honest with yourself before i was then part part of that part of coming to crossroads i was dabbling with like deism and rob (coughs) rob bell and uh um like universal love essentially unitarian universalism and all that jazz like 2011 2010 before i moved back to minnesota and that was uh yeah, that's what I was dealing with. Or like, and even Christian mysticism, that was kind of like super interesting to me, which is why I liked you. When you and I met, we were both kind of interested in both like uh, some of the Judaic stuff that we had to learn about in school and as well mm-hmm. as like the Catholic, like the ancient Catholicism and, yeah. and some of like the, the saints and stuff. Saints and icons, all that good stuff. Yeah, and we liked liturgy and we liked talking about that stuff. And it was that was all stuff that I found extremely cool because it was historical more. Yeah, and I think this is an interesting sort of nexus point of world building because I think the commonality here obviously is I think metal is super nerdy. I I think I want to get into that maybe a little bit. And I think that um, people who are religious and liked the things that we did, that was like the nerdy approach to religion. Like, yeah, I would love to study liturgy and I would love to like study the history of iconography. And I would love to like know more about like this Kabbalah mysticism. And like, it was definitely focused on a, um, it was interest-based instead of salvation-based potentially. And that's sort of a commonality here that I want to touch on with this podcast is just um, what goes into nerdiness and the different ways it expresses itself. So with metal, have you seen that as a um, overarching sort of commonality across the different genres of metal? Yeah. I mean, there, there, I've always told people who like try to put just metal or hardcore music into like one category of, calling it screamo if they're not used to being introduced to heavy anything heavy um 
there are probably as many metal subgenres as there are other genres of music. Um, and so when you say something's metal, it's like even even the terms I was using, like progressive black metal, and people are like, well, you know, I'm like maybe have heard of black metal, but they don't know what it is. So when they hear progressive black metal, they're like, well, what the fuck does that mean? I mean, a lot of people don't know what hardcore music is in the first place, and that yeah. it's been around for 35 years, and it started from punk, and mm-hmm. hardcore punk, and then it was hardcore, and then it became metalcore when they introduced some more metal elements, and then death metal and hardcore joined and started, de- like, there's so many rabbit holes with, with metal music, and it is nerdy just in the fact of that. But I mean, on top of that, some of my favorite metal bands in history have entirely attached their identity to fantasy music, to fantasy writers and and literature for decades now. So, I mean, there's a, there's a, one of my favorite bands in the last 10 years is called Kaladin Brood, which is a character from the Malazan series. <laughs> and they, they're huge. There's a band called Summoning that's been around for 30 years and they're from Norway. They say that like most, black metal bands which is interesting because a lot of them black metal is based around the concept that they hate theism basically um and and that they were opposed to the way that death metal was played in the 80s and going into the 90s when it started but uh so they tried to make metal music that was different in the uh, complete opposite way but there are so many bands especially black metal but power metal as well that are influenced by i mean nerdy subjects like fantasy or D. I mean i mean i can't i can't like for example one of the and, and this is not directly based on it per se but they but they do this kind of thing uh there's a there's a huge band going around right now and they've been around for probably like seven or eight years so i wouldn't know 100 percent, but necrogoblicon that's a great name that's a great name i love that. are they a goblin core band is- yeah are they for real? Oh, That's yeah. so you great. Know, yeah, anybody who's to that out. YouTube Necrogoblicon next or the the like the huge pirate band who luckily I've gotten to see several times over the years playing uh up in the cities but Ailstorm. Hmm. They're a bunch of pirates and they're they're definitely wearing the wearing it thin at this point and they know it and they love to make fun of it. Um and so if you have never YouTubed or seen Ailstorm once this pandemic's over it is 100% worth it, and you don't have to get drunk to, to, to see them, uh, but I highly advise it because 90% of their songs are about drinking. It so. enhances the experience. Yeah, I'm, I'm um, so ready to go see live music again, oh my word. I cannot wait for that. I, I, it's been a nice break to some degree to record stuff that I, you know, I've gotten more recording done than I normally would, especially in years, man, but... I mean, just jamming to shoot music videos recently because that's about all the jamming I've done for eight months is just... Uh, I mean, I feel weird plugging in my amp by myself. I'll put it that way. <laughs> Understandable. Nice. Understandable. Back to your lyrical process. So these apocalyptic themes work their way in. Um, what else and specifically any other nerdy themes that worked their way in? Yeah. So there are first, specifically the first Amiensis album. I wrote two songs specifically about the Shannara series um, and just like overarching concepts within those books. But there are two song titles. Actually, sorry. Okay. One song title is directly from the first Amiensis album, Restoration, which is kind of our most famous. Um, the song is called Morgawir. Um Terry Brooks, the author of the Shannara series, knows about it. I got him to sign the book series. Yeah, that's awesome. On tour. 
I also got him to sign what eventually came out. It was a demo from that album that was kind of like a B-side we didn't use until 2018 called Tanequal or Tanequal. Um, and he signed that book. Uh, I was really stoked about it. Got him to throw up the horns. I got him to listen to the songs. I like, I feel pretty accomplished in that. I mean, that's He's like 80 years old. That's, that's a summit. I don't know how you can go higher than that summit right there. That's awesome. Yeah, no, and like I was, so back, like that was like 2013 when I got to meet him the first time. And uh, I had just finished his book. I think it was Children of the Sintra at the time. Okay. Does, I mean, unless you're really nerdy in addition, it doesn't matter. But um, I'd finished his book. It was like 2 a.m. You know, I was reading late at night in bed. And uh, my wife, who we were just dating at the time didn't live with me or anything um texted my wife because i went on his website to see like what, what's he up to and does he do book tours he was coming to minneapolis the next day so, <laughs> that's perfect serendipitous yeah i know like being a shanara fan for 15 years i was just like i'm off tomorrow <laughs> uh texted my girlfriend and was like all right we're, you're like hey i know you like we we'd been dating for like a year i'm like I want to go see this author. Like, even though I'm only 20, he's been a part of my life since I was like 10. So it was really important to me. And coincidentally, the Shannara series like ended just last fall, ended mm -hmm. last November. Oh, I last, didn't know that. The last book was set to come out last spring, but COVID happened and they delayed it until November. Um, and uh, yeah, Terry's like probably pushing 80. I want to say he's like probably 78 or nine. So he ended the series and uh, I mean, he didn't like, because he's old, decide to end it. He just was like, I'm at a good place. I'm like 30 bucks in and it kind of makes sense to end it here. It's on where technology and stuff has gone throughout my books over time. And yeah, it's, yeah. But anyway, was, was, lyrics, yeah, go ahead. From that, please. My, like lyric, a lot of lyrics came from that. in the first, uh, the first time I was writing lyrics for Amiensis, my first major release was with Amiensis. So, uh, yeah, Terry Brooks was a big influence. A lot of the Shinar world was a big thing. But in general, outside of that, um, I've done a lot of lyrical writing pertaining to my job. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a counselor, but I specifically work with opioid addiction. Most people I work with are addicted to heroin, fentanyl, oxycodone, morphine, those types of things. And uh, so I've done a little bit of that more recently. I haven't really stayed away from that as much as possible until recently. It's not nerdy per se. Sure. Um, but it worked. Yeah. I mean, part of your life that works itself into the lyrics. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, I haven't really, I've tried, I've tried not to write too much about the nerdy stuff recently, but there was a split I did with Chrome waves just in December. And uh, the songs I did on that one, which are actually a metal album too, are specifically about Malazan. Nice. Um, and um, if anybody has read or has uh, read, um, gosh, what's the second book in the series with the March? Oh boy, um, I'm blanking on it. Dead House Gate. Okay, oh, good. Dead House, Dead House Gates. I didn't even look it up on time. Nice. Dead House Gates. It's about Dead House Gates. So nice. That's awesome. So, what was your first fantasy novel experience? Was it Shannara, or was it? How did you come across your love for the fantasy genre? Mm. okay no my first my first one was the hobbit perfect um, and that was a required reading in sixth grade when i lived oh, in Pennsylvania. lucky you that's a great school for real um i had a guy or i had a i had a teacher at the time older gentleman 
Um, not, I'm honestly at this point, I'm not sure if he would be alive actually, but you'd be um, surprised. Like we think these people are like much older when we're kids. And then we realize, Oh, they were like 30. I, I, obviously that's maybe not the case <laughs> in here, but I remember like looking back at my teachers and thinking that, Oh, there's no way they're alive. And then I looked them up and they're like in their fifties. <laughs> uh, you're like, shit, I'm not even that like 50, 50 doesn't even feel that old. Anymore. Right. Right. Exactly. Damn. Yeah. Um, well, I'll, okay. I, I just remember his name was Mr. Panis and that was terrible. I felt terrible for him because people made fun of his name he went he, he went into awesome teaching teacher. kids so he he must have reconciled his his life at, by that point his choice to do that despite his name yep he was a great teacher he made us read a lot of cool stuff but the hobbit was one that like that's the one book i can remember reading because i just loved it so much um and then because i was reading that essentially my parents who were somewhat kind of nerds i mean i mean growing up were like oh, we have copies of the Lord of the Rings series. Um, and they gave me, you know, the Fellowship Two Towers in return. Um, and my mom, and I still have them because she was like, well, I don't need them to the, anymore. I have like a 1958 pressing of all three. Nice. So, I mean, obviously not like first edition by any means, but no. like paperback <laughs> early copies. Uh, yeah. And they're pretty, they're pretty dope. And that's what I, that's what I read them in as this, like a sixth, seventh grader. That's a great experience. I love that. Yeah, um, but that was my first series, and then the the second time I really got into a series was Shannara. Uh, I moved to Minnesota in eighth grade, and uh, my buddy, well, he was kind of my buddy, a kid that I had all of my classes with, unfortunately for him. Um, he's still one of my good friends, but um, poor kid was reading The Sword of Shannara, which was, at the time, like the first book, because since then... There was prequels. Yeah, yep, there's like prequels and stuff, a couple of different prequel series and stuff to it. But it was a sort of Shannara, which was a big old 800 page book that was kind of a knockoff of The Lord of the Rings, written in the 70s by Terry. And uh, I started reading that, and here I am. Nice. <laughs> Talking to you. <laughs> this is what happens. <laughs> what it's led to. Thanks, Mr. Panis, for starting yeah. the journey and for your Hell friend yeah. for reading it next to you. Uh, mine was, that's kind of a similar story to mine, actually. I think uh, The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings, I'm not sure which one I got first or which one I read first, but I think I got them as a bundle from my aunt for Christmas when I was like 11, maybe. And I started reading i think it was the hobbit because that was probably the most approachable one and so i started reading that and like oh and like i grew up in a very um religious family and um i don't remember any fantasy other than c.s lewis being on the shelves growing up so like this was like my first real taste of like something other than the fantasy of my religion and i got heavy into it and read lord of the rings and at that age like one thing you mentioned is uh, a book whose story you can remember. Like I remember reading The Hobbit and the story from reading The Hobbit, but all, I know that I read Lord of the Rings, but I don't remember, like, I don't think I was actually reading it. I think I was mostly just like flipping through the page and just like um, scanning and skimming more than actually reading oh, yeah. it. Like there was no retention, sure. zero yep. retention at all. And then down the road, a couple of little, think it was maybe even that same year that year or a year later i got the um dragonlance series by yeah which is a a D, D book and i didn't actually know that until much later um but then i read that 